First John chapter 5, once again, we will read beginning at verse 6 and read through verse 8. First John chapter 5, beginning at verse 6, hear once again the word of the Lord. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. Congregation, may God add a blessing to the reading of his word and now to the preaching of his word. Please be seated. Well, once again, greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. As it was in our opening service, it is good to be with you, congregation. Glad to bring the word of God to you and... and minister to you this Lord's Day, pray with you, sing with you, and hear the word of the Lord together. And may the Spirit of God once again work in and through us on this blessed Sabbath, brothers and sisters, for his glory and his glory alone. As we continue to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth by the proclamation of his word, I'd like to call your attention to 1 John chapter 5, verse 8. 1 John chapter 5, verse 8. As we continue on in this exposition, I'd like to speak once again on the witness of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. The witness of our Lord Jesus Christ. The testimony concerning the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In verse 7, we looked at the heavenly witness of our Lord Jesus Christ, the heavenly testimony that we see with respect to the Blessed Trinity. And while the heavenly testimony is of primary significance, it is really where we should first consider the testimony concerning the Blessed Son, we would do well to also consider the earthly witness of our Lord Jesus Christ. The earthly witness. And the earthly witness is found in verse 8. Verse 8 of our text. There are three that bear witness on earth. The spirit, the water, and the blood. And these, these, these three, excuse me, agree as one. Verse 6 speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ coming by way of water and blood. And this is with reference to both baptism and the cross. This is with reference to both baptism and the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yet these, these symbols, as they were, of water and blood are once again mentioned in verse 8 with reference to a witness on earth. And like the witness in heaven, the witness on earth bears witness to the same truth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. The Scripture teaches that the believer has the Spirit of God indwelling in them. And therefore, the believer, the one who has, who has been born again, is certainly an earthly witness of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we may conclude that immediately each and every one of us who bear the name of Christ are witnesses to his atoning work. Certainly there are at least one, there is at least one witness on earth concerning the Son. But actually as we examine the scriptures, there are many earthly witnesses with regards to the work of Christ. The Spirit of God, as we consider the means of the regenerate image bearer of God, we may conclude ultimately uses us as a witness of the finishing work of Christ. Yet there are other means the Spirit of God uses. And this morning, we will consider a few of those means. These means, these earthly witnesses, brothers and sisters, are both ordinary and with relation to the church. It is the Holy Spirit that uses the child of God, the God-ordained means of grace, and, of course, the testimony of that old rugged cross to bear witness of the person and work of Christ on this earth. This Lord's Day, my goal is to show from 1 John 5, 8, that these three earthly instruments of God as they were ultimately bear witness to the same exact thing. Just like Father, Son, and Spirit bear witness to the same exact truth. These three agree as one. Let's go ahead and unpack this verse, brothers and sisters. And once again, may God bless his word. First point, the earthly witness by the Spirit With this first point, I submit to you the question, the rhetorical question, really, as many of us in Christ should know this answer very quickly. How are sinners made able to testify concerning the Word, concerning the work of the Son, concerning the finished work of Christ? How are sinners made able to testify concerning this work? In our last sermon, one of the points we looked at, the last point we looked at, was the heavenly witness of the Holy Spirit. At the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God bears witness in a supernatural manner, descending upon the Lord Jesus Christ in the likeness of a dove. While the Spirit of God was always with our Lord, some argue that the descending of the Holy Spirit at baptism was when the Spirit of God first came upon the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're reading somebody that argues that, stop reading them and read somebody that doesn't argue that because it's false. Spirit of God is always with the Lord Jesus Christ, even from the moment of conception. But while the Spirit of God is always with our Lord, the Scriptures give special attention to the working of the Spirit in the public ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, there is a significance, as I mentioned in our close, the closing of the last sermon, of the Spirit's descending upon Christ. This heavenly witness 
in addition to God the Father and God the Son, show forth the testimony of the triune God with regards to the sonship of God the Son. The Blessed Trinity bears witness to who Jesus is and what he came to do. He is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Yet there is also an earthly witness with regards to the working of the Spirit. There's also an earthly witness with regards to the working of the Spirit. There is a sure testimony of Christ evidenced in things on this creation as the Spirit of God works in and through them. Again, certainly the first earthly witness that should come to your mind, Christian, is you, you and I. We are witnesses to that heavenly testimony that we see in verse 7. We are witnesses, not of ourselves, not because we finally decided to say something right, but because God has seen fit to call us to himself and save our souls, give us his spirit as a testimony to what he has done. You and I, the church, those who have called upon the name of the Lord and received his saving grace, as it is written, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. You see, the people of God saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, born again, are the true witnesses of Jehovah on this earth. We are the real witnesses of God on this earth. You and I, the ones that have been redeemed, covered in the blood of the Son. As I've mentioned in the last sermon, and as the scriptures make crystal clear, we only love God. We are only in this disposition, in this blessed estate, because God has first loved us. This is a central theme in the beloved apostle's first letter. We are only witnesses of his grace because he has shed his grace upon us. We are only made able to affirm that glorious testimony, that heavenly testimony, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God because this glorious truth has been revealed to us through the eyes of faith with a new heart that is now able to discern the things of God. And these beautiful, glorious truths, my brothers and sisters, speak to both regeneration and the process of sanctification. They speak to the work of the Spirit in the life of the sinner saved by grace. Through the process of regeneration, I need you to hear this. Through the process of regeneration, God turns liars into witnesses. Through the process of regeneration, God turns liars into witnesses of himself. And through the process of sanctification by his spirit, he strengthens that very witness. He adds some meat onto the witness so that we may not forget as we are prone to wander.
as we are prone to lust after the things of this world. The process of sanctification, the Spirit of God, because he loves us, the Spirit of God whose name properly is love, sanctifies us, strengthens the witness. Let's flesh that out just a bit more. With respect to regeneration, when God effectually calls the image bearer of God to himself, they are called out of a state of sin and misery and heartache and torment and ultimately death, in which we are by nature, to a state of grace, to the state of salvation in Christ. One state to another, one disposition to another, one testimony to another. You see, when our sister is baptized next Lord's Day, what she is communicating to all of you is, I have a new testimony. And that means something. That's glorious. I have a glorious testimony. God has opened my lips. It's no longer my flesh that is to lead me, but my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One testimony to another by grace. And we know this is true, especially those of you who are saved later in life. I know for sure some of you are saved later in life. I know you personally. I was saved later in life. And when I think of my testimony before Christ, it was one of shame. It was one of guilt. It was hellish. And some of you, don't, some of you won't have that testimony, by the way, because you were raised into the fear and admonition of the Lord. You have godly parents. Some of you are raised in homes where all you know is Christ. But hold no other God before me verse that I read, some of you are raised with that truth and praise God for that. Praise God for godly parents that raise their children unto the fear and admonition of the Lord, that they don't have to have this hellish type Pauline testimony where we have to remember those that we murdered or, or those that, whatever it may be in that old life. But the point is when you think of it, it's one of shame, living in rebellion, choosing a life of sin, on our way to the just condemnation that we deserve as a consequence of, as a consequence of our own sin. We were a mess, beloved. And what was our witness unto? What kind of witness prior to Christ did we have? Well, sin, ourselves. That was our witness. What kind of sin did we like? How are we serving self today? Outside of Christ, we were all blind and in love with our sin. So naturally, those are the things that we would testify to. A man and a woman, or a man or a woman, testify to that which they love and believe. A natural man loves his sin and believes in the God of self and serves them accordingly. Man dead in his sin cares not about the things of the Lord or the truths of the word. A man dead in their sin cares about himself and the sin he or she loves. And when you examine the life of one outside of Christ, this really will always be the conclusion, beloved. It's always going to be the conclusion. What gets the what what, what comes in between the unregenerate man and God? Sin. Every time. 
Unfortunately, the very thing that Jesus calls us to deny ourselves and the very thing that Jesus has put to death, sin, are the very things that sinners choose each and every day as opposed to the joy and peace found in Christ. Many would rather starve than come. Time and time again, you see this in the world. Men and women would rather deny Jesus and live for self and sin than turn from their sin and look to Christ. Even some of this room have to affirm that testimony. Because if it wasn't true, everyone in here would be a Christian. The fact is that's not the case. There are many that need Christ. All of us need Christ. And all of us will have to stand before God and give an account for every single thought, word, and deed. And as I mentioned in the last sermon, those who die in their sin will perish. The point here, beloved, is that the testimony prior to Christ is one leading to sin and judgment. But again, but God. But God. God changes the testimony of the sinner by bestowing his saving grace upon him, calling them to himself, changing their heart. He takes us from being a walking dead corpse, a valley of dry bones, breathes life into us through faith in Christ, and immediately the tune for the sinner changes. It's a different song. It's a heavenly song. Speaking of heavenly realities, that's the tune of baptism. That's the tune of the sacrament of the supper. That's a tune of regeneration. They are now sinner and saint. They are now able to receive the things of the Lord as they have been given a heart to do so. When the child of God is regenerated, they are given new spiritual life whereby they now hold that confession tight that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. That is our confession as he is the one who has died for us And it is by his once-for-all sacrifice we are reconciled to God. It is his blood that covers us. Therefore, we affirm he who came by water and blood has covered us with his blood. What an earthly witness you and I are, brothers and sisters in Christ. Yet the earthly witness of the born-again believer is not limited to that first hour we believe. Or to say it this way, that amazing grace is not limited to that first hour where you believed. Is it not that same grace that will lead us home? is Is it not that same grace that is working each and every day as we seek to see and savor our Lord Jesus Christ? Certainly it is. Well, the evidence of this testimony finds its form when we are made alive in Christ by the Spirit of God calling out our Father in heaven. This form is molded and strengthened as the sinner saint grows in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this we call sanctification. 
The sanctifying work of the Spirit takes the testimony, the earthly witness of who Jesus is as we now see him with the eyes of faith and adds some meat to it. As we grow in Christ, it's not that this testimony reigns more true as it were, but the truths of the testimony become more clear to us. It's almost like a cloud of haziness that remains and the Spirit, little by little, takes away the haze and we are to see the truth of who God is in a clearer and more concise fashion as grace is bestowed upon us. I can illustrate this in so many ways, congregation. One thing that comes to mind with regards to sanctification and the strengthening of the affirmation of the truth that Jesus is Lord comes by way of church membership, okay? I know your pastor and I are almost identical in this way, probably even to a T, where when we have a a young saint, older saint, anything in between that desires membership in our church, we take them through our confession of faith. We talk to them about the doctrines of this church, what we believe. We disciple. We teach. That is that the sweet, the fruit that comes from that is so sweet, especially when it's a new believer. When you got a new believer that is just starting to understand the things of Christ and you start seeing their eyes open like a deer in the headlights kind of thing and the wheels spinning in their mind and the dots connecting and then you, you, take, you take those counseling sessions home to your wife and you just speak till your face turns blue about the glories of Christ and how good the Spirit of God is working in the church. What an encouraging testimony. What an encouraging testimony. There is great growth through this process. And this growth is Encouraging to say the least, it increases our faith as ministers of the gospel. This is the Spirit of God adding meat to the testimony that Jesus is Lord. Everything in our confession of faith not only affirms the truth, but strengthens the truth of who Jesus Christ is from the very beginning to the very end. And as we teach new believers, older believers, seasoned believers that may know the confession quite well. This growth is a great testimony of the Spirit's work by way of sanctification. This indeed is a great earthly witness, as it were. And as we continue to grow by the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we continue to grow in the understanding of who our Savior is, that earthly witness is strengthened and strengthened and strengthened to where we find ourselves on our deathbed. And the only words that we really care to say is, Jesus, I'm coming home. That's a testimony. That's a true testimony. And it's not just the spirit that is at work in us 
in and through us, bearing witness of the work of Christ. That is the only testimony on earth. Certainly there are other means. Let us look to our second point. The earthly witness by the ordinary means of grace. In the first point, we ask the important question, how are sinners made able to testify concerning the work of the Son? The answer is God. (laughs) The answer is the Spirit of God. Now we ask the question with regards to the means of grace, what is the ordinary means by which sinners are equipped to testify concerning the Son? How is that testimony, how, do we, how are we equipped to continue to testify, to strengthen in our testimony? Well, again, hear the word of the Lord. There are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. These things agree as one. As we continue to examine the earthly witness of the person and work of Christ, we see that the one who has come by water and blood leaves for the church the symbols of water and blood signifying but not limited to the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper instituted by Christ leaves these symbols for you and I that we may not forget of the one who has come by water and by blood. We think of the sacraments of the church. We think of baptism and the Lord's Supper when we think of water and blood as an earthly witness. In addition, as we consider the first point with regards to the work of the Spirit, we ought to add the preaching of God's Word as a means by which the church is strengthened. After all, when we think of the means of grace, the primary means of grace, we must think of the Word preached. God uses the preaching of His Word, baptism and the Lord's Supper, to bear witness to the work of God the Son. Every time you take of the Lord's Supper... I'm getting ahead of myself. Every time you take the, Lord, take the Lord's Supper, you are testifying to the truth that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. This is why unbelievers ought not partake of the Lord's Supper. This is why those who are in sin ought not take of the Lord's Supper. Because you're bearing a hypocritical testimony. Go and reconcile with your brother or with your sister, then come back to the table that your testimony may be one of pure conscience, of clear conscience. So how do preaching, baptism, and the Lord's Supper all bear witness? Well, let's think for a moment. The preaching of God's Word. I think this is a very easy answer, but I want us to really consider it. The, The preaching of God's Word. When we think of the preaching of God's Word and how preaching from the Bible, not preaching fluff, Preaching fluff is in God's word, not preaching politics, not God's word, but faithfully preaching the scriptures. When we consider what preaching is and what we are actually preaching itself, I think we conclude right away that the preaching of God's word is is an extraordinary earthly witness to the finished work of Christ. 
We may think of the preaching of God's word with regards to the that of preaching and the what of preaching. So first, it is that, namely the preaching of God's word, the faithful exposition of God's word, sticking to the text of scripture that is paramount to the witness of God the Son. Think for a moment what the Bible says about the preaching of the Bible. So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. The scriptures, as they're preached, increase your faith. That alone is ample reason to conclude that the preaching of God's word is a powerful earthly witness, a creaturely witness of the finished work of Christ, of something in heaven. Or how about the Apostle Paul? What does Paul say about his own preaching? For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Or the words of our Lord. Go, said the Lord. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. You see, the minister of God's word is an instrument of God, and they are to play a tune. They are to play one tune, the tune of the gospel. That's it. Every single Lord's Day, you ought to prepare your hearts to hear that tune. And whether I come to you with a different tune, your own pastor comes to you with a different tune, or an angel comes to you with a different tune, you rebuke them. Because the gospel alone is sufficient. And the gospel is the tune of the minister. It's God's tune. They are an instrument of God. Go carry out my name. Speak of what I have done for the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel, before all mankind. And it is the what, namely the preaching of God's word that bears witness. It is not merely enough for the man of God to have a Bible in his hand when he preaches. His head must be in the Bible. I cannot tell you how many preacher, if you want to even call them that, have the Bible in their hand and are speaking something that has nothing to do with the Bible and are giving opinions, politics, hobby horses. None of those things save anyone. The Bible alone bears witness to the work of of the Son with regards to the preaching of God's Word. How so? How can we say this? Well, from Genesis to St. John's Revelation, what you have is the unfolding plan of redemption revealed in the person and work of Christ. And when that is faithfully preached, you have a sure testimony of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Yet when you take your eyes off the Bible, you have something else. God forbid, as faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. 
The Bible is all about Christ. And when preaching what the Bible says, we are bearing witness to truth as it is written. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And in another place, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, that is the minister of God first and foremost, may be complete, equipped for every good work. And just as a side note, beloved, this is so important with relation to the symbols of the water and blood. As the preaching of God's word, when it goes forth, faithfully preached, prepares us to partake of the Lord's Supper and prepares us to witness a glorious baptism. God prepares our heart to witness a baptism and partake of the Blessed Supper as he speaks to us through his word. Indeed, we are able to see the ordinances for precisely what they are as we hear of who Christ is through the testimony of the preached word. But as we've mentioned the ordinances of the supper and of baptism, let us consider those for a moment. How do these ordinances bear witness to the work of our Lord? Well, with regards to the water, St. John writes in verse 8 that the water is one of these three earthly witnesses. This is with reference to baptism. Some argue that this is with reference to the baptism of Christ and that baptism alone. Some argue it is with reference to baptism of Christ and the institution of baptism to the church. I believe the latter. We're speaking of both baptisms here. When we think of the baptism of Christ, which we considered, we know that there is a great testimony of his work in that particular baptism. But let us think of the baptisms that come after Christ, of those who bear the name of Christ. It is first to be understood that baptism is commanded in the scriptures. Jesus came to them and spoke, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This positive law in the New Testament is a command that the Lord gives. There are various ways that we can show when a believer is baptized that they are bearing witness to the saving work of the Son. There are various ways that we can really illustrate that. But I just want to focus on one this morning. I want to focus on the believer getting up out of their pew or chair and walking to be baptized. What kind of, te- what, what kind of testimony is that, congregation? It's one of gospel obedience. And surely... Obedience in and of itself is not a sufficient witness of an inward reality, an inward change. In and of itself, certainly it is not 
the end-all, be-all. For example, we call our children unto obedience. We teach them to be obedient. Men and women are to obey the law of the Lord, whether they're Christian or not. Seventh commandment, adultery, that applies to everyone, just like the fourth commandment does. But this obedience in and of itself is not necessarily a witness to who Jesus is, but obedience by faith certainly is. Obedience by faith certainly is a witness. And when you have a believer, born-again believer, getting up out of their seat and walking, and they're scared, you know, they're afraid, it's going to be cold or whatever it may be, it's, it's public, Sister, I'm sorry in advance for hyping it up, but it's, it's what it is. Um, there's fear there, right? We face that reality. But what you have with the believer is obedience by faith. If you love me, keep my commandments. And when they're walking, when they're walking and they're, they're walking up to the minister to be baptized, you just keep in your mind that person loves Jesus. They love their Messiah. They love the Lord. That's a huge, huge earthly testimony. That's a huge earthly witness. You see, if, if the person is saved and they're walking to the waters of baptism to be baptized, we must conclude it's the love of Christ that leads the, baptism, the, ba- the person being baptized to say things like, I need to be baptized. I want to be baptized. Thank you for baptizing me. That's the love of Christ. When you, when you start thinking this way about the sacraments, it's, yes, of course, it's about us in a sense where we're, we're the ones partaking and there's those kind of, it's all about Christ. It all comes back to Christ. It's all, it all finds its meaning, its relevance, its point. It's all about Jesus. That's why we're here today. It's why we're worshiping. I mean, there, there's social clubs folks can go to. There's youth groups, YMCA Secular things, people, we're here to worship Jesus Christ. Obedience by faith. And us being here says, we love our Lord. There's a, there's a testimony of this in the Bible. There's several testimonies of this in the Bible, excuse me. The one that comes to mind is in the book of Acts. Consider with me a moment, story of the eunuch, Ethiopian eunuch. The passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before his shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch says to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself? Or about someone else. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture. Right there. He he opened his mouth and beginning with the Bible. Again, that's that first point about the preaching of God's word needs to be the scriptures. The Ethiopian eunuch didn't say, oh, let's think about this for a second. Look into the water. You open the Bible. He opened his scroll. He He looked at the scroll of Isaiah. And he told them the good news about Jesus. He preached the gospel from the Old Testament. Don't let dispensationalists lie to you. Preach the gospel from the Old Testament. It's there. 
And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. It's the eunuch that says, There's water. I know that Jesus calls me to love him by obedience. I need to be baptized. There it is. And he commanded the chariot to stop. Philip didn't command the chariot to stop. The eunuch commanded the chariot to stop. Stop here. Stop everything. I need to be baptized. Nothing matters. I love Christ. That text is about Jesus. He came to faith right then and there. And he knew what he needed. What was, what was it that led him to the waters of baptism? The love of Christ. Obedience by faith as one who has received faith. The earthly witness of baptism. Shows so much with regards to the person and work of Christ. But how about the blood? We just sang nothing but the blood. Much has been said with regards to verse 8 concerning the blood. There are differing interpretations. Verse 6, it makes, makes one thing very clear, one thing that's not under dispute whatsoever, that with regards to the blood in this passage, we are talking about the blood of Jesus Christ. Full stop, period. It's the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood of Jesus. It is the blood of Jesus that washes away our sin. It is the blood of Jesus that makes us whole, that reconciles us to God. It is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us, that makes us clean. What an amazing testimony concerning the blood, that we are cleaned by blood. Blood atones for our sin, grants us hope and peace. Creates us righteous before the throne. And that blood is symbolically on the table of the Lord as we partake of the Blessed Eucharist. It's the third and final witness. It's the witness that shows us that the the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and the blood shed for us is still ever important each and every day. It is a constant reminder for you and I that it is nothing that our hands can bring but simply to the, to the cross we cling. And it's the cross alone. The blood that is in the cup is a gospel witness to us. It is... T- it is It is the tie to that work on the cross on Calvary where we see the testimony of testimonies on earth. The once for all sacrifice made known to the entire world. To all of the witnesses 
to all of the disciples, to all of the heathens that sat and watched the Lord die. And again, as a witness even for us today, that each and every time we partake of that blessed heavenly meal, we are reminded that the work is done. It is finished, was his cry. That we are to live for him and for his glory until he returns. And the meal upon his return for all eternity is himself. I long for that return. And I long to be with you, brothers and sisters, feasting on our Christ for all eternity. And those of you outside of Christ who continue to deny the Lord Jesus Christ, I long for you to turn from your sin and come feast with us as the meal is good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we once again come before you with thankful hearts. We thank you for this Lord's Day. We thank you for the blood of Christ. We thank you, O God, that your people are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Worthy was the Lamb who was slain. Lord, we ask that you would continue to work in and through us for your glory, that our witness on earth would be that which is in heaven. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.